Welcome everyone to this edition of Executive Interviews on Tech Investment Insights, where we interview tech leaders and finance leaders from across the industry to gain first-hand insights from those making our future uh, a reality. And today we have uh, Tim Huang, a CEO of Fiscodote, which is a data science government relations company based in DC, and which uh, several years ago I uh, was uh, one of their employees as well with. And so. Uh, with further ado, um, let's uh, thank you so much, Tim, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great. And so, uh, what exactly does FiscalNote do? Yeah. Um, so at FiscalNote, you know, our our mission is uh, very simple. Uh, we create technology platforms that connect people uh -huh. to their governments. Um, mm -hmm. The way we do that is we aggregate uh, laws, regulations, court cases, government filings, government documents from. Uh, countries around the world. Uh, we operate now in, in a little over 40 countries. Mm. Uh, we pull in all of those documents and then use um, a branch of artificial intelligence called mm. natural language processing um, mm. to be able to make sense of all that information uh, for our customers. Mm. Our customers range from you know, big government agencies uh, to big companies, uh, Fortune 500 businesses, all the way down to you know, local trade associations and teachers unions and the like. Uh, you know, we have uh, just under 2,000 customers today uh, who use our platforms every single day to understand laws and regulations as they impact their, their businesses and organizations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. Uh, certainly when many people think of government, they don't initially think of data science. And so certainly, uh, um, certainly it's still at the, the forefront of a, a big uh, and exciting field. And so, so what exactly inspired FiscalNote and how did it all begin? Because at the beginning, it seems like uh, it was a very new idea, as in like uh, the two, these two worlds, technology, data science, and uh, governments and politics had never really be, been uh, merged before this. Yeah. Um, well, I think that, you know, from, from our perspective, uh, you know, we were, we were viewing a world that was increasingly becoming more complex, mm -hmm. um, where the regulatory uncertainty was continued to increase. Um, whether it's the current administration or Brexit or uh, sort of, uh, you know, rising nationalism in, in you know, across Europe or parts of Southeast Asia, mm -hmm. um, a lot of these political changes were driving a lot of uncertainty in financial markets and industries, uh, as well as in different governments. And so the opportunity to uh, so take a look at um, the problem in and of itself, I think, was, was very apparent. Now, the traditional way of sort of handling these challenges, you know, through networks of humans and individuals and whatnot, mm -hmm. um, you know, were very, very outdated. And so I think that um, what happened was complexity drove the need for technology. Um, mm -hmm. And that technology just happened to be coming online at the same time, which was this sort of proliferation of machine learning capabilities um, that effectively enabled you to be able to parse through a lot of information and data very, very quickly. So, um, sort of right place, right time, you know, right problem, right solution. I think that that sort of led to the creation of this company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, when people think of uh, government affairs, you normally think of people in suits uh, meeting in cloakrooms and uh, smoke-filled uh, back rooms. And, uh, and while there's still a lot of that, uh, certainly in the past few years, we've seen uh, data science uh, transform DC for sure. And so, 
uh, on a broader level. So Fiscal Note, uh, as a uh, went from being a startup company to now being a, a much bigger company, and so even though it's uh, not public at the moment, still goes through the process that many companies which do end up being public or uh, end up still in the private place in the market do go through, which is uh, raising capital. And so, so what what was it like going through uh, the initial steps of raising capital, which uh, in our which is rapidly changing as the uh, venture capital world has become much uh, more, I guess you could say, uh, uh, rigid or uh, more um, uh, formalistic. And so, what, what was that process like? Yeah, so so fiscal note so far has raised um, just around sixty million in venture capital, mm-hmm. um, and I'd say that every stage has been very different, uh, not only because of the stage of the business that we were at. But also, I think it, because of um, uh, the time at which we are raising capital. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we started the company in 2013, 2014. Uh, well, at the end of 2013, we raised our first um, round of seed capital. Um, you know, that mm-hmm. was led by uh, Mark Cuban, um, mm-hmm. uh, Jerry Yang, NEA, which is a $30 billion plus venture capital firm, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and a couple others. And at the time, I would say that. Um, Seed markets were weren't blowing up like they were, you know, that they were maybe a couple of years ago. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you still have to show some level of traction and everything. Um, and so I think we, at the time, we had maybe a prototype and and you know a handful of sort of key market customers mm-hmm. um, were able to sort of start getting the company off the ground. Um, <clears throat> in 2014, when we started raising for our Series A. Um, there's this thing called the Series A crunch that started to kind of proliferate, which is basically that mm. um, a lot of companies were getting crunched in the middle uh, because there was a lot of seed capital, uh, but the amount of uh, institutional venture capital in Series A mm. um, uh, had stayed relatively the same. And so you had this influx of companies coming in at the same time around 2012, 2013, um, mm. going into 2014, where there just weren't a lot of institutional venture capital. So... Um, uh, what that does is it actually increases the supply of companies um, at a relatively stable demand, and it actually increases the bar for every company to succeed in order to attract mm-hmm. venture capital. So there was a lot of key milestones that we had to hit, you know, in terms of revenue milestones and growth. Um, and then I think at once we got past our Series A, um, going to our Series B and Series C, um, it was kind of interesting. In, in series B, you know, for us was a little bit of an anomaly because. Um, uh, Ren Ren came in strategically, and they kind of, uh, you know, most immediately did a Series B a couple of months after we did our A. Um, but uh, I think as we were going to the C and D rounds, um, we were starting to see the maturity of um, the venture capital market sort of uh, ballooning, particularly in the late, sta- the mid to late stage uh, side of the, the business. So, um, uh, from that perspective, uh, particularly in the C and D rounds, um, you know, there was just a lot more capital chasing smaller and smaller deals of companies that were sort of getting to these stages, mm-hmm. sort of multi-hundred million dollar valuations. Um, and mm-hmm. so it actually does get you know, somewhat easier raising capital at the later stages of, of growth. Um, I would say, uh, you know, the one exception was probably around the Series C stage. Um, there was a little bit of a, con- there was a, a huge contraction in the SaaS market, mm-hmm. uh, you know, around, I would say, August of 16, early 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is back when, uh, you know, LinkedIn's market cap, you know, basically, uh, you know, dropped by 50% in one day. 
Um, you know, Tableau had also sort of tanked, and so did Salesforce and a couple others. So in those cases, you know, we have to essentially um, think about our timetables in the broader market. But, you know, broadly speaking, the SaaS market and the venture capital market around enterprise software has just continued to go up over the last couple of years. Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, certainly, yeah, for public companies, I mean, it seems a relatively straightforward process of raising capital. You know, as you use stock to the, the ever-active markets or, uh, or uh, debt and whatnot or other securities. But... Yeah, indeed, for private uh, companies, the the uh, uh, very serious rounds and uh, all of that, it's a complex process, but one that, uh, especially for tech companies nowadays, is uh, uh, universal and, and very essential in terms of the company's uh, structure and trajectory. And so for data science overall, um, so data science in just these past few years, uh, say back in 2013, 2014, et cetera, it was more of a still experimental technology. I mean, there had been initial forays into data science by uh, companies and whatnot, but like it was still seen as very much um, uh, kind of in its pilot phase, et cetera. But now it seems like every company, every serious company is utilizing and relying on data science. So what do you think caused that very sudden uh, shift in just these few years? You know, I think it's a combination of things. Um, I think that the technology in of itself has definitely become a lot more accessible. Um, through kind of broad-based platforms, whether it's TensorFlow or um, some sort of uh, uh, sort of Azure and, and some of the work that they're doing, uh-huh. um, but I, so I think that's one element of it is that there are more and more people that can access these technologies. Um, I do think that there's an element of sort of cultural shift as well among um, institutions to willing to adopt some of these technologies as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be totally candid, I don't I don't think that machine learning has proven its true value uh, in almost every sector that it operates in. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, only just up until a couple of years ago, you know, we couldn't tell the difference between a rock and a pug, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> using machine learning capabilities. Um, and even today, um, there's still a lot of training that needs to be done around things like mm-hmm. self-driving vehicles, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, automated mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, image recognition and things like that. So, um, in some ways, I think that the the industry still has a long way to go, but I think the, the the sort of two biggest shifts have been primarily number one that there has been this proliferation of technology, and 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 secondly, um, that we have seen a, a much larger willingness to have um, institutions that have adopt this technology, whether it's through experimental mechanisms or even more operational mechanisms, whether you're sitting in manufacturing or whatnot, which are obviously very uh, mm-hmm. easy. Uh, low-hanging fruit, but even in higher-level tasks um, around things like text classification or image recognition, um, that we start to sort of see the the, the fruits of machine learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense, and I'm sure in upcoming years, uh, as uh, AI and et cetera gets more uh, prevalent and advanced, uh, we'll be seeing much more of that to come. Um, and so, on the uh, data science and uh, public policy intersection, but from a different vantage point. So, in the past few months, and really in the past. Uh, Year or so, we've begun seeing uh, greater uh, uh, legislative and regulatory uh, scrutiny, both here in the U.S. and worldwide, uh, in Europe, et cetera, uh, over data science, um, and especially has become much more prevalent in the public discourse uh, after Facebook's uh, Cambridge Analytica scandal. And so how do you think uh, regulation is going to affect data science uh, in particular over these upcoming few years, if at all? 
Good question. I mean, I think um, the most immediate area of regulation will probably be data privacy. Hmm. Um, and so the thing about machine learning is that in order for machine learning to do um, to do well uh, and, and to find its value, you have to um, put the right level of data in and the right quality of data. Um, hmm. And uh, it doesn't matter how great your algorithms are or, you know, your sort of... Um, uh, processing mechanisms or whatever the case may be, the the thing that really drives additional value is, is getting more and more access to data. Mm-hmm. Um, so to the extent that uh, regulation uh, prohibits or restricts the use of certain types of data, uh, I do think that there's a pretty substantial impact that that's going to have in mm-hmm. terms of the ability for engineers to leverage machine learning capabilities. Um, I think that, uh, you know, even beyond that, uh, you know, you're going to start to see, um, uh, you know, sort of ethics, ethical debates about um, uh, the sort of proper use of machine learning capabilities. Um, and then the final thing I would say is the impacts that uh, machine learning has on, uh, you know, the sort of capabilities, particularly around um, uh, labor automation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within labor automation, I think there's a pretty substantial impact that we're going to start to see, um, largely because... I don't think that we've had that conversation as a country yet. Um, and then from that perspective, you know, the, the challenges that we face, particularly with respect to labor regulations, um, I think will probably be one of the most defining topics that we have over the course of the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And yeah, I mean, you already uh, just briefly alluded to it, but uh, certainly data science will be having a much broader impact beyond just uh, the current analytics and uh, whatnot support it does for uh, many companies. And so over the next few years, what do you think will be the biggest additional uh, disruption or impact from data science in the industry as well as uh, for regular consumers and the public? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you're going to see it everywhere, right? I mean, machine Mm -hmm. learning and and data science capabilities are going to proliferate in every aspect of of our lives. I mean, it's it's sort of like, it's sort of like asking how, how uh, do you think the internet will impact our lives? you know, in 1993, I mean, the internet impacted everything, <laughs> hmm. um, you know, so, so everything from, uh, you know, the way we transport ourselves to the way we communicate to the way we do our jobs to, uh, you know, the way we meet people, um, you know, the way we, I mean, literally everything, everything you can think of will be transformed, you know, through some, through one of these capabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. I mean, certainly the technology has transformed every every aspect of life uh, over the past decade or two. And uh, yeah, I'm sure it con- will uh, continue as well. And so lastly, so if you had to pick a sector or a few sectors that are currently uh, have not been fully disrupted yet by data science, um, for example, how the uh, the public affairs, uh, government affairs world was uh, back uh, a few years ago, that, that was still ripe for disruption, which, which sectors uh, would you say are still uh, lagging behind the time, so to say. Yeah, I got to think about that. I mean, I think yeah. at this stage, uh, you know, maybe if you asked me a couple of years ago, you know, there'd be a couple of industries that, that haven't really been touched, you know, and, and relatively um, same. But I, I think that almost every industry that I can think of has been, uh, you know, there, there's some work that's being done, you know, with the use of machine learning. Um, whether it's you know automated diagnostics in healthcare or 
you know, quality um, and environmental control and energy, uh, you know, customer service and support, um, legal, uh, construction, real estate, retail. Uh, I mean, literally every industry you can think of, there's a pretty strong use case and, and um, a set of um, innovators and entrepreneurs that are working in that, that category. Um, maybe, maybe I would say the government, but, um, you know, if you think about government services, you know, the military certainly uses a, a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of, of machine learning facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do you sort of, um, a lot of our sort of foreign uh, agencies and whatnot, uh, or intelligence gathering agencies, um, maybe in core government services like education or um, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, or uh, Social Security or whatnot. But uh, even there, there's there's a decent number of people that are working on some really interesting challenges, um, you know, particularly in education, but certainly in, in other verticals as well. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, definitely this speaks to the uh, incredible impact data science has had over the past few years uh, in every industry. And uh, it'll be exciting to see in the next few years uh, where it all goes. And uh, maybe in a few, maybe soon in the next few years, we'll be seeing these uh, self-driving cars uh, driving around our streets. But uh, yeah, so thank you so much, Tim, uh, for your time. And uh, it sounds like you are doing exciting work at Fiscal Note. And so best wishes there. And uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us for this episode of Executive Interviews on Tech Investment Insights. And speak to you all soon.